I want to challenge you today to see richness in a different light. You know, we, we are prosperous. We are a blessed nation and a blessed people here in America. And I, I thank the Lord for that every day. I, aren't you thankful that we're a blessed people? But he wants another kind of richness for our life as well. I remember one time my dad, I, I, I was just old enough to realize what it meant to have money or to not have money. I remember that was kind of the time in life I was at that I realized, you know, there, there are people with a lot of money and people that don't have money. And I went up to my dad one day and said, Dad, are we rich or are we poor? <laughs> Do we have money, Dad? And he said, well, Isaac, he goes, let me say it this way. We may not have just endless money sitting in a bank account right now, but our supply never runs out because God is our source. The bank account isn't. He goes, and to add to that, he said, richness is measured in different ways. He said, the, the way the world measures richness, no, you know, we're probably not considered rich by the standards of many people in America. He goes, but if you take the Bible's definition of richness, rich in good works, willingness to give, that heart positioning that's right before God, he goes, we are a rich family. We are rich in other ways. I just want to encourage you this morning. We're a rich people in a great many ways. We have a richness in our spirit, a richness of heart, willingness to give, ready to send what God has given us. And, and to be honest, we're blessed. I can't speak to everybody's individual financial situation today, but I know God has blessed us. He's blessed me, and I'm grateful for that. And out of that grateful heart, and that heart that wants to be rich in the good works that he says are stored up for eternity, I give. That's my encouragement for you today as we give right now. Give out of the richness. Because that is where richness really lies, is in giving. Do you agree with that? Then let's pray and bless our offering this morning and our ushers will pass the plates and you can give online if you do that way. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We just thank you for the blessings and richness that you've brought to us. We know that we live a life where you have provided, a life where you prosper us. You fill us up so that we can send it out. And so today, Lord, we thank you that we not only have access to the prosperity and financial riches that you have uh, purchased and made available to us, but God, there is a different kind of richness that we can tap into today. That out of our giving, Lord, you said those good works are rich as well. There is a richness that comes in our willingness to give, in our sharing with others, that heart positioning of love for one another. And so today, God, we give out of the blessing that you have provided for us with expectation that the riches of good works are coming into our life. We praise you and we give because we love you, Lord. Yes, Lord, we love you. We give with that heart today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
get into the Word together this morning. Let's pray and uh, bless our time together studying God's Word this morning. Lord, we thank You for the Word You've given us. We thank You that it is truth. It is alive and powerful. And Lord, as we get into it today and look to Your Scriptures for answers for our life, uh, for direction for today, Lord, I thank You that it comes alive and speaks to our hearts in an active way. God, let it not just be the words I speak, but I pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak into the hearts of every person before us today. We get in together, Lord, loving You, serving You, worshiping You, and looking to You as the director of our lives, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I'd like us to begin in uh, the book of Judges. And so if you have your Bible, please turn over there with me. We're going to look at victory today. Don't you love victory? Yeah. Do you love being victorious? Yeah. And I was just talking to a couple of our teenagers this morning before we got in here. And, uh, well, you guys know McKinley wrestles. And I was talking to him about how he had won a wrestling meet the other day. And saw a picture of him holding up this, you know, bracket card with his, you know, he, he had won. And I just said, that's so cool. It's so awesome to see victory. Isn't that cool to see people winning in life, being victorious in life? Well, you know, that's a exa- uh, natural example of victory, but there's a spiritual victory that we have all obtained through Christ that's available to us through Christ. And so this morning I want to look at that kind of victory that God had planned for our life and how he brings that victory more completely than we ever could for ourselves. And that's really the basis of this message. You see the title up here, Take the Thorn Out. Take the Thorn Out. This is a message that's about victory in a complete way. You know, I think victory can be measured in different ways at times. Sometimes, you know, if you are, you just have enough to beat the foe, beat the enemy, that's technically a victory, but you might be wiped out by the time it's over. You know, I think victory can be measured in different ways. And and a win is still a win, but I think when you walk away from a competition, there are moments where you can be more victorious in a sense than other times. You know, you can can walk away knowing I really gave my best out there. I really won because I gave it all. And there's a kind of victory that comes with that that you don't get when it's like, well, I, I I just did enough. I didn't perform to my best. Have you ever had a situation like that where, you know, you won, but you walk away feeling like you didn't win? Has that ever happened to you? You know, like, yeah, technically I overpowered. Technically I came through. Uh, It makes me think about, you know, basketball and some of the sports teams or or football games that we've seen recently where it's like there's a team that should totally blow out another team. And you've seen this. I know you've probably seen this on, you know, the TV on ESPN lately where a team that should go in and just completely wipe out the competition, you know, they win, but just barely. They, you know, they just get enough to come through. And really, though they technically won, it, it, it can be considered losing in a sense because they may drop in ranking because they didn't perform or, or obtain victory on the level that they ought to have. You see that happen in the world where people don't obtain victory to the degree or to the level that they are supposed to have it. Well, this is kind of the issue I'd like us to discuss this morning is how, as Christians, we have been given a level of victory by Jesus. And we should never be willing to settle for anything less than that kind of victory than he bought for us. This morning, my, my hope and my prayer for us as a, a people and a church is that 
we would be so inspired and encouraged to not settle for a lesser victory, to not settle for anything less than God's standard of victorious life. And so as we go into Judges, we see Israel. We see God's people, Israel. And we talked just a few weeks ago about when Joshua had been brought into leadership and now they were getting ready to enter into the promised land. God had promised this territory to them. He had said, I'm going to deliver these enemies into your hands. I'm going to deliver this land to you so that you may dwell there and and have what I've promised. This book of Judges is written after um, the military campaign, if you wanted to call it that, where Joshua and the Israelites went into the land and, and were largely victorious over the Canaanites and the other people groups that were there. They had entered. They'd been at war. Um, The estimation I I got on time that they had been at war and battling for this land was about 28 years. So they had been out conquering these lands that God had promised them, obtaining the promise. And they were largely victorious in conquest. Their foes had been defeated. People were being driven out. And they were now in a position of power and authority. Israel had obtained a position of power and authority. And so that is where we begin here at Judges 1.27. They were in the land. They had been largely victorious. And this says, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Ibelim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. Hmm. Israel had been at battle. They had been largely victorious in driving people out. But it says that the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. They didn't want to go. The enemy, the problem, wasn't ready to leave yet. You know, we're going to, as we go further today, show just how this is so applicable for us as Christians today. And I can't get away from saying it now. Sometimes the enemy doesn't want to leave you alone. Sometimes that thing from your past that used to dwell in your life, but God has said it's being driven out now as part of my new promise, doesn't want to leave. It wants to stick around. It doesn't want to give up all the progress it's made. It doesn't want to give up what it's built in your life, that stronghold. It's not ready to leave yet. But the word says, I have been delivered. The word says, I have been redeemed and freed. And because of Jesus' power, not of my own, that is true in my life. I have victory over that past enemy. Amen. And so we see that the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. They weren't prepared to leave. And and what we read in the next verse 28 is that it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Mm. What we see is that Israel came to a place of total power, total authority over the land where they could have driven the Canaanites out entirely. They had the opportunity and the power to get them out of the land, to obtain the full promise and drive out any trace of the enemy. However, what it says is that they put them under tribute and did not completely drive them out. Judges 2, verses 2 through 3, as as we read on in the next chapter, says, And you shall make no covenant. This was God's command for Israel about the land, about his promise. He said, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you've not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. See, 
the Canaanites became a thorn to Israel because Israel refused to drive them out completely. And in our life, and this is, this is what we're going to get into today, God has planned for us a new life where all past things, all past sin is driven out entirely, driven out completely. The altars and, and the strongholds that were once built up by these things that we used to carry with us in the past are meant to be destroyed and eradicated from our new promise, our new life in Christ. And my encouragement for us today is not to settle, to take the thorn out. To get the thorn out of our promise. To get the thorn out of our life so that it cannot stay in the land and harass us. Stay in the promise. Stay in the new life and continue harassing us as we move through this life on earth until we're fully sanctified and glorified in our new life in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're not settling people. We don't settle for less than God's best. Isn't that right? They put them under tribute. What that means, if, if you go and study the words, is basically means it, it put the Canaanites into slavery. I'm sorry, sound team. That was a microphone that just dropped. They were put under tribute, brought into slavery. See, Israel had the power to decide what was going to happen with the Canaanites, happen with these people who would go on and be a pain, a thorn in their side. And when they had a moment of, of choosing to send them away and, and eradicating them from God's promise entirely, they chose instead to bring them and put them under tribute. The result of this that we see in Judges 2, 11 through 12 is that then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served God Baal, the God Baal. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods. And then it goes on and talks more about that. See, these people that were in Israel as a thorn, by Israel's own choosing, by the way, and, and this must be made clear, God doesn't leave thorns in your promise just to make your life more difficult or because or he's got some grand test that you have to pass before you can be one of his. He doesn't leave them to trip you up. His plan is to send them out, to drive them out entirely by his power. And it was only at Israel's choosing to keep them that they stayed. And I do want to say this too, because here in Judges 2, 2 through 3, I mean, it almost sounds kind of harsh on God's part. He says, because you haven't done this, you haven't obeyed me, I say, I'm not going to drive them out before you, but there'll be thorns in your side. The reason that that is the case is because in the Old Testament, it was very much uh, kind of a quid pro quo relationship. That's what the Old Covenant is. God, uh, his agreement with them was, if you do this, then I will do this. If you do not do this, you will not have this. And so because God had already given his word and he is a completely just and truthful God, he couldn't go back on his word and say, because you've disobeyed, now, you know, I'll give you pass this time. Now in Christ, there is mercy. We have an intercessor on our behalf where just because maybe we missed it at one time doesn't mean that we can't receive that kind of power for today. Okay, so I, I, I want to encourage you in this. If you're reading along with me here in Judges 2 and you think, well, I haven't totally driven all my you know, past thorns out yet. Does that mean that God won't do it for me today? No. He will do it today. He will do it now. He wants you delivered and completely free of the past that once held on to you. And so we see the Canaanites put under tribute. And that got me thinking. Why would Israel do that? Do you think that? 
Like when you read this, is that what you think too? Why would they do that? These are their enemies. They, they were causing them harm. These are the people they had to fight to get free of. They had to pay a price to receive this promise from God, and now they're compromising it. Why would you do that, Israel? You know, I, I think of a few reasons, and, and this is mostly speculation on my part, but reading into the situation, I, I came up with kind of four reasons that, that maybe was causing Israel to compromise. You know, it, it says that they made them pay tribute. They made them their slaves to Israel. So the first thing I think is maybe Israel was just being greedy. You know, maybe Israel didn't want to give up that enemy because they saw a, a way for it to benefit them in this new promise and in this new life. Never mind what God said about it. I think maybe, you know, this could be a good thing. I think maybe, you know, we'll just, we'll keep our eye on it, we'll handle it okay, and it'll benefit us in the long run. Well, we know that that didn't turn out well because in Judges 2.11, it says that they ended up worshiping other gods and tripping up and failing. The second reason I thought maybe they just decided to leave the Canaanites in the land, leave their enemy in the past in the land, maybe laziness got a hold of them a little bit. You know, they'd been at war for a long time. They had been battling these enemies for a long time. Maybe they finally came to a point where they said, you know what, we've got the power. We think we can handle this from here. So this is good enough. You know, they, they just got content or compromised because, you know, we're, we're good enough. It's kind of like saying, you know, I've done, I've done enough for that. You know, the job's done good enough. I remember my mom, she would always have us clean our house. You ever had a cleaning day with your mom? Or someone in your, or maybe your wife, where they, you get home and they say, "Hey, we're cleaning tonight." You say, "Oh, good." <laughs> well, my mom would do that once in a while, and I remember she'd assign everybody a room in the house, and so we'd start cleaning these rooms, you know. And and before you could go off and do whatever you wanted to do for the night, she'd have to inspect the room and tell you whether you did a good enough job or not. And I'd have to, you know, vacuum, and I'd vacuum kind of the main parts, but a lot of times I'd leave the edges you know, undone, I think, well, she probably won't notice them. You know, this is good enough. I got the main mess cleaned up, so I think this is good enough now. My laziness got me to compromise, and so then she would come in, take a look at the room, and say, I can tell you didn't vacuum the whole thing. She goes, Isaac, why didn't you just do it the right way the first time? Now I'm going to make you do the whole thing again. She would always say, it's a lot less effort to just do it right the first time. It's going to save you a lot of trouble later on if you just do it right and get it right the first time. You won't have to deal with it again if you just finish it in your first shot. And I think that's kind of the case for Israel. If they were to just finish the job in the first shot, they wouldn't have had to deal with the consequences later. I think another reason for compromise is possibly lust. You know, they ended up, if you read on in Judges 2, they end up... Um, taking wives from the Canaanites and the people group. They maybe looked over into the people of Canaan and said, hey, there's some people or some stuff in there that I might like to be a part of. You know, that, that could be pleasing to me. That could be beneficial to me. Never mind that it's part of the enemy that God's trying to drive out of my life. I could see a little bit of benefit. So, you know, maybe I know a thing or two that God doesn't know, and maybe I'll just let it stick around so I can enjoy it. And then the, the fourth thing that I see there is arrogance. Arrogance. Man, to say that God told me we need to get these people out or we're going to have problems. And to think, well, I think I know better. Man, arrogance. Pride, I think, is something that caused Israel to compromise. 
God's standard, compromise God's plan for them. And so these four things, greed, laziness, lust, and arrogance, all resulting in compromise, left Israel in a, in a pretty bad situation, where now they have this enemy rising up against them again, these things from their past, these people from their past are rising up once again and trying to get them off track and succeeding in getting them off track. You know, I read in Peter 1, verses 13 through 14, in encouragement. And when I read this the first time, I thought, man, Peter, you must have been talking to Israel. You couldn't possibly be talking to me. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace of that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your arrogance. So he says, before you came to know Jesus, before you found this new hope, you were a part, you, you were taking part in, in some of what he calls the former lusts. He says, you were enjoying these things from the past. He says, don't do it anymore. Gird up, guard your mind. To keep it away. Rest your hope fully upon the grace or the power that Jesus has given you as obedient children so that you might not conform, so that you might not compromise into the lusts, into the things, into the people of your past. And I read that and I just think about Israel. Man, if they would have done this, you know, guarded their mind, rested in the hope of Jesus' grace and power, I believe they would have driven the enemy out. And it makes me think about, you know, me today, me, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Okay. I have at times had things from my past that I've compromised and allowed to stay in my present. I've allowed things from my past to come in and be a part of this new promised life that I have today. And I believe that what Peter wrote, what Jesus planned is that they would be driven out completely. Sent out of life so that we can live in the complete promise that Jesus obtained for us. I see so many parallels as we read about Judges. I know you maybe are thinking, well, why are we reading about Israel and Judges? Because it's a parallel for us today. We have been given a new promise as they were given a new promise. Ours isn't land. Ours is a new life. Ours is a new life that is flowing with blessing, flowing with promise. And if we go in and we fully receive and we drive out the things from the past, right. then we will have the full promise that Jesus had obtained for us. Yeah. And that's what I want. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. You know, Israel had promises or they had problems with their land because they didn't get rid of the problems. We can encounter problems in our Christian life because we don't drive out the things from our past. We let the thorn stick around. See, the Canaanites were called a thorn to Israel, and that's because they continued to afflict Israel. They continued to stick in Israel's um, existence in, in Israel, the, the land of Israel, because they were not driven out entirely. And it makes me think about why is it that I compromise? What causes me to compromise? What causes me to allow thorns to stick around in life? What causes me to allow these problems, these temptations, uh, at times even you know, people who have influenced me in a way, why do I let that stick around in my new life in Christ when he has so much better of a promise free of that for me? Why have I done that? And I think it, it's the same thing as Israel. You know, people really haven't changed that much in, in three, 4,000 years. I mean, a lot, a lot of the same. 
And I think it's the same thing of compromise where, you know, greed, um, laziness, lust, arrogance, I think these are things that even though we can see something's bad, if, if we get hooked on one of these four things, it's like, well, maybe I'll, just, maybe I'll just deal with it. Maybe I'll just let it stick around a little bit. See, thorns represent the problems from my past that are trying to persist into my future. But God's promise is free of past problems. God has called us redeemed. You know, redeemed, that word, it, it means to buy the freedom of. To buy the freedom of. So if I'm redeemed, then Jesus has bought my freedom from all the things of my past. You know, we think about that with like the, cons the eternal consequences of sin. I mean, that's where my mind goes first with redemption, that I've been redeemed of the, the consequences that I had to pay for the sins that I've committed in my past. Well, I believe the redemption of Jesus isn't just for eternity. I believe it's for today Amen. because it, it doesn't start once I die and get into heaven. My redemption starts the day I receive Jesus Christ. And so if it starts today, then I'm free today. That means the thorns are driven out today because I don't have to wait for later to receive the fullness of the promise. If I've been bought and made free, then I want to be free. I, I don't, I don't want to compromise and get something lesser than what Jesus paid for. Man, that makes me just think, have you ever bought something and gotten a lesser product than what you paid for? How irritating is that? It's like, wait, I paid for, you know, the premium one. I paid for the nice one. I remember my dad actually told me a story recently about how him and my mom were having an anniversary. And for their anniversary, he had wanted to get her, you know, some, I don't know a lot about jewelry, okay? I'm not married, so I don't know that much about jewelry. But he wanted to get her this, like, nice new ring for their anniversary. And he'd gone into a jeweler. I'm not going to tell you who it is, mostly because I don't remember. <laughs> You know, protect the innocent, that kind of thing. And so he had gone in and he had picked out a specific stone that he had wanted to give my mom. And, you know, they had worked out the price. He figured all that out with them. Well, he came back in to get it a couple weeks later. And they had put a different diamond or stone or whatever it was. They put a different one in there. And it was of a lighter carrot. It was less. And it was, like, not up to the same quality as the one he had bought for her. I mean, he had picked out the specific one he wanted, you know, in this ring. And when he came back to get it, they had given him something lesser. And he had already paid for the other thing. And he said, well, what, what's going on with this? Like, why, why don't I have the one I picked out? And they said, well, you know, that was just kind of to show you the, you know, our grouping of products. You know, the, this is kind of the style or the pool that will pull the one we're going to give you from. And he said, no, I paid for that one. And so that's the one I want. And I believe when it comes to redemption... Jesus is saying, I paid for this kind. I paid for the total freedom kind of redemption. I paid for the new life completely, free of thorns, free of past, free of temptation and sin kind of life. And so that is what I want you to have. I don't want you to accept something lesser. I want you to have the fullness of what I bought and obtained for you. I don't want to sell out what God bought me. I don't want to compromise what God bought me. And so with this attitude, I think we can look at our spiritual splinters, the thorns that are trying to stick around in life. And, and to me, knowing that God bought me something better than life with these thorns, than life with these afflictions coming along with me, it makes me want to get rid of them. It makes me want to get those splinters out so that I can live the way he wanted me to live. 
See, Israel let the thorns stay when they could have pulled them out. I want to find my thorns and get them pulled. Don't you? Let's look at splinters. Let's look at the thorns that we find in life. You know, I I think about natural thorns. and, And have you ever had a splinter? I've had a lot of splinters. I like playing outside and stuff and going outside. And so I get a lot of splinters. And I always try to get them pulled pretty quick after, after they stick me. You know, I don't want to have a splinter in my hand, in my arm. Like, I, I don't want to walk through life with splinters. It's pretty obvious, I think, in the flesh that we want those thorns out. We don't want to walk around with them. But I, I started thinking about this while I was preparing this message. We want splinters out because they hurt our flesh. Right? They hurt us. They damage us. We, we want them out because it doesn't feel good. Well, I think... You know, what if there was a benefit to having a splinter? What, what if it seemed like there was some kind of benefit that I would obtain if I kept a splinter in me? What, what if having a splinter, um, like what if it was worth something? What if it was a splinter of gold and I could carry it around with me and I'd have more? That's kind of what happened with Israel. They thought, well, we can use them for labor. We can, you know, increase it. it it's kind of that greed thing. Like I want to gain from them. So maybe I know it's hurting me. I know it's bad for me. But this could, this could benefit me. So maybe I'll just leave it in there for a little while. What, what if having a splinter brought social acceptance? You know, what, what if there were a bunch of people that were all in the splinter club together? And the only way you could be part of the splinter club is if you had a splinter. I mean, it might sound silly, but spiritually, th- these are the kinds of things we do. We sell out and keep splinters in our life so that we can obtain some other kind of thing. So that we can, we can have more. We can benefit from the value. We can have social acceptance. We keep something from our past around so that people that we used to hang out with will keep hanging out with us. We keep the splinter even though it's hurting us spiritually. It's benefiting our flesh in some way. What if it gave some kind of temporary satisfaction? Some kind of temporary gratification? Yeah, it hurts me, but it feels so good. For a little while, but then I'm really getting hurt. This is the kind of thing I see spiritual sellout, spiritual compromise for, for these splinters that hurt us to stick around. What about pride? Man, this, this would be mine, okay? This would be my spiritual splinter of, well, I can just deal with it. I'm a tough guy. I'm a man. I can deal with it on my own. I let it stick around to prove to everyone how I am and who I am. You know, I, I show my macho through letting this thing stick around. I don't deal with it because I, I've got the, the moxie to deal with it on my own. I don't, I don't get rid of it because look at how much pain I can endure. Look at how much I can deal with and I'm still going. Man, what a, that's just not a good way to live. And I'm, I'm just saying that would be me. I'd be like, oh yeah, it doesn't hurt that bad. I'm okay. I can deal with it. It's, it's not smart because you're going to end up with an infection or something from the splinter. It hurts you in the long run, but I think sometimes pride is something that will keep us. Just We deal with it because I can. Or what about this one? What if it's easier to just leave it alone? What if it's less painful to just leave it alone than what it would take to pull it out? What if it's less trouble to deal with that thing with the past, from the past, to just leave it alone and let it sit and let it continue to fester and damage me? What if it's easier to do that than to suffer through momentary hurt and momentary pain to get it out and be better off in the future? It's compromise. 
It's saying, I, I would rather just leave it alone and let it sit than, than have to suffer through this you know, moment of pain. Rather than sever that relationship, rather than give up that, that old habit or that old thing, I'll just keep it around. I'll let it sit because that's less painful than having to be separate from it. I've come to know it. I've come to appreciate it. I'm just going to leave it alone because it would hurt too much to take it out. See, these are the kinds of things that I think we compromise spiritually for, you know, fleshly gain. What that really is, if we look in Galatians 5.17, these spiritual splinters, I believe, are lust. Galatians 5.17 says, For the lusts, uh, the, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Man, I, I've noticed that for me when I find myself doing things that my spirit doesn't want to, it's because I'm letting my flesh have the say so. I think, you know, we're very familiar with physical flesh splinters, right? Getting a thorn stuck in you. But I think we're maybe sometimes less aware of the spiritual splinters, of, of the things that damage our spirit, that stick in our spirit from our past and want to go with us into the future, but they hurt us. They damage us in the long run. And I think these, these flesh lusts are, are probably the primary spiritual splinters that we encounter. Things of the world. It says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another. You do not do the things you wish. The things of the world are the things of the flesh. The things of the Spirit are the things of God. And so a thorn, which represents affliction, is something that the world wants you to have in your life that causes spiritual hurt. So a spiritual splinter is, is something of the world, maybe it was part of your past, that wants to stick with you and cause damage in your new future. And there again, we see the parallel from the Israelites to what we're talking about today, because the Canaanites were people from the past in that land who wanted to stick around and they ended up causing pain in the future of Israel. Amen. So our spiritual splinters, while, while we may not have to actually like pull anything out of our flesh, there are things that the devil wants to stick with us spiritually that if we don't pull them out, they're going to hurt us in the long run. And the thing about it is, you know, we, we can really live a pretty full life with Jesus with some splinters in us. I mean, we can still enjoy life in Christ even with some of these splinters. We really can. Okay, but it's not the full promise. It's not everything God had intended for you. He wants you to be completely free of all of these splinters. And so this morning, while I'm talking about lusts and I'm talking about the things of the flesh, I'm not talking about the, oh yeah, this is, you know, this is my big battle. This is the big thing that's it's my mountain that I have to get through. I'm talking about the little stuff. That sticks with you. The little things that, you know, I've just kind of accepted it. I've just kind of let it sit there. I've kind of let it be part of life and come along with me because it's easier. Because I, I have, you know, I'm the man. I can deal with it. Or any of these other reasons we talked about. I'm talking about the stuff that we just let kind of stick with us. Maybe it's not impeding our life in a huge way. But it is compromising from God's standard in the life he has intended for us. You see what I'm talking about today? The spiritual splinters. So John 2, verse 16, going on and talking about this, this lust, you know, the, the, the splinters. As I talk about lust, I'm talking about our splinters in uh, 1 John 2, verse 16. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, 
but is of the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. I want to take just a couple minutes and, and break that down and talk about these, these three things. Because I think most of the splinters that we maybe encounter, they would fall into one of these three categories. Most temptation, most sin, most, most past problems would fall into one of these uh, three categories or it would be the result of um, one of these three categories. And so the first one, the lust of the flesh, this is what we would know as temptation, what we would know as uh, you know, desiring like a physical pleasure over, over something that God would have intended for us. Uh, there are a lot of ways that this can manifest and be present in life, but these are splinters. I mean, I know that at times for me, like I've had desires and temptations for myself that are sticking around from my past, something I've dealt with in the past and I, I'm done with it, but then I get this temptation again. What do I do with that? Do I let that stick around in life? Do I let that desire become um, something that I, I have to act on? Or do I pull it out? Do I, I get rid of it? That's lust of uh, the flesh. The next one, lust of the eyes, is looking with desire to obtain what doesn't belong to you. This is uh, what we read about it in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. You know, desiring something that doesn't belong to you, that you're not supposed to have. Looking on to things and, and building up a desire for it in, in, in your eyes, in your heart, wanting something that you're not supposed to have. I think we see both of those present with the Israelites. You know, they had lust of the flesh. They wanted to profit off of the Canaanites. They had lust of the eyes. They looked upon uh, the, the idols that the Canaanites were worshiping. They probably looked upon um, the, the people within Canaan, and they said, I, I want that. I'm not supposed to have it. I have a covenant with God, and I'm not supposed to be pursuing these things or desiring these things in my heart. But it was the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh that they encountered. And then the pride of life, the temptation for excess power and stature. Temptation for excess power and stature. I think we see this present with Israel as well. You know, we've got power. We've got authority. We're in charge right now. We're, we're big man on campus. And these Canaanites, they have to do what we say. Until they don't anymore. And I think the pride of life is it's that thinking of myself higher than I ought. That's what we see with Israel is they started thinking of themselves higher than they ought. And pride cometh before the fall because Israel ended up falling when their enemy got strong again. And so these three things are, I think, three splinters that we see present with Israel. And, you know, I look at my past and anything that's wanted to come along from my past, come along into my new life with Jesus, it would fall into one of these categories as well. It's either a temptation, a lust of the flesh, a lust of the eyes, or it's, it's about pride and wanting to make myself great. If I look at these three areas and pull the little stuff, pull the little lusts of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life, if I pull that out, then I'm, I'm going to be free of splinters. I'm going to be free of those past things, those past thorns that want to stick with me. Isn't that good? That we can be free of those things? It says that, it's not of the Father, but of the world. And really, I think that could be, if we were just going to give one definition for a thorn, for a splinter, it'd be something that's not of the Father, but is of the world. Our new life in Christ is life with the Father. Life, life where He is our source, where we look to Him first and only. Everything else of the world is, is meant to fall off. 
meant to be washed away as part of our past life when we come into a new covenant with Jesus. When we obtain that new creation status, like it talks about in 2 Corinthians, I believe part of being a new creation is we don't have the wounds that we had as an old creation. Those wounds ought not to have splinters sticking in them. You don't, you don't see a newborn baby with a bunch of like scars on them, right? A newborn baby comes into life fresh and new, free of past hurts, past splinters, because it's, it's totally new. And so when we get new life in Jesus, I believe that these old injuries, these old splinters, these old thorns, we ought to cast them out. We, we ought to eradicate them from our life. And the same with how it talked about um, in, in Judges. It talked about the altars, the things that we used to worship, the things we used to um, look to as, as places where you know, we had a, a spiritual experience or, or we, we had something that wasn't of God, but it was us worshiping something else. Those are supposed to be destroyed as well. We ought not go back to those places in our new life. We ought not hold on to those old things that we once had. And once again, I'm talking primarily about the little stuff. And and I believe that as I'm talking about this today, the Holy Spirit is is even identifying some of this. Some of these little things where, you know, maybe, oh yeah, I've let that stick around with me for a while. I've let that stay where it wasn't supposed to stay. And the good news that we're about to talk about is that God's given us a way to deal with splinters. He's given us a way to take them out. So I, I hope right now, you know, actually let's just do this. Let's just pray in this moment. As we transition into the portion of this message where we look at how we deal with splinters and deal with thorns, I want us each to just allow the Holy Spirit to speak in our heart about what what splinters we maybe have allowed to stay, what thorns we've maybe allowed to stay. We pray, just get in a prayerful attitude right now, uh, examine your own heart and let the Spirit speak to you about what that might be in your life. Maybe it's not a big thing, but maybe it's something small that's just stuck with you over time, something small that you just haven't let go of yet, but the Holy Spirit wants it gone today. He wants to push it out today. Father, I pray that right now your word is speaking to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would identify and reveal to us what might be a spiritual splinter, what might be a thorn, something that's sticking around from our past that's wanting to bring affliction to us. What might that be? Show us, each on an individual level, God, that we might know how to deal with it, how we can move forward into the fullness of your promise into a life free of that affliction, free of that past thing sticking with us. God, we want the full promise that you've purchased for us. Nothing less. We don't want to compromise what you've given us. And so we are open to hearing. We are open to seeing what you show us in this moment. Hallelujah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, it's a good thing to, to identify your splinters because then you can fix them. It's a good thing to, to know what needs removed. That way you can re- remove it. And I was actually talking with somebody the other day about how, you know, if I have something wrong with my car, I want to know what's wrong with it so I can get it fixed. You know, I, I don't want to just keep driving it while it's injured or damaged because if I do that, it's going to get worse. It's going to hurt more later on. And so I think it's very important, and, and this is just how I am, I want to know what I need to deal with. I want to know how, how to make it better or how to look to God and, and let Him make it better so that I can have full life. Don't you want that? So that's why we're looking at this today, dealing with the thorns. There are three parts 
I believe, to dealing with thorns in life. The first part is my part. And in James 4, verse 7, we see a scripture that tells us uh, about our part in dealing with these thorns, in dealing with spiritual splinters. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, we have a part in resisting that, that lust that the enemy wants to bring, in resisting that splinter that the devil may want to bring against us or stick with us. It says, resist the devil. That word resist, it means to stand or guard against, to, to defend is resist, to defend against it. And we ought to be defenders of our spiritual state. We ought to be defenders of our spirit man, guarding what we allow to get in and stick with us. I think about, you know, gardeners. They wear gloves because they don't want to get stuck. They don't want a splinter to come into them. And I think sometimes spiritually, we need to put on our gloves so that we can defend against what the enemy wants to prick us with. You know, and, and there are ways we can do this. There are ways we can put gloves on when we read the word and get built up. We're building up our defenses. When we spend time in prayer with, with the Savior, I mean, we're building up our defenses. We're building up our truth. It's guarding us against what the enemy would want to prick us with or stick us with. And so we can build up our defenses and stand to resist the devil. Because we know when we do that, he'll flee from us. When we stand against the devil, eventually he's going to get tired of trying and he's going to go away. Now, it might not happen the very first time. He, he may try to bring something against you again and again. But as you continue resisting, eventually he's going to wear out and go away. See, because the devil isn't persistent like our God is. The devil isn't, he doesn't endure through things like our God does. God never fails. He never leaves. The devil will leave if you just resist him long enough. And that's good news. Because it really, it's, it's God's power that enables us. It's God's word that guards us. It's, it's time with Jesus in worship, in prayer, that guards us. I mean, it's his power that's guarding us. It's his armor that we're defending with. But we still get to choose to use it. We still get to choose to put it on. And so that's good news. And then the other part that we have in dealing with thorns, Matthew 26, 41 <clears throat> It says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Mm. See, again, we, we get the difference of spirit versus flesh. Spirit is willing. Your inner man that's been renewed, it wants to be free of this stuff. It, it wants to get away from temptation. But the flesh is weak. The flesh, we could say, is vulnerable. The flesh is soft. So there again, I, I see the need to guard, to put on our spiritual gloves and guard against the thorns that the devil sends. But we get two other things that we're to do. Watch and pray. Watch. I think about when I'm driving and I see potholes coming. I'm watching ahead so that I avoid damage. If I see a pothole coming in the road ahead of me, I turn so I miss it. I don't want to drive over things that are going to damage my vehicle. I don't go into places that are going to damage my spirit. I don't go running into a thorn bush because I don't want the splinters. I don't, I don't go running into the place that sticks me and pricks me with spiritual splinters because I don't want them in my life. I watch where I'm headed so that I can avoid the things that want to you know, be a splinter in my life. 
And then pray, the other part of that, what we just talked about with James 4, 7, build yourself up with the truth. Thank God for what you've received and seek his leading. I think these are three things we can do in times of prayer. As we pray out the truth, it, it becomes alive. When you're talking about the truth with God, it becomes alive. As you thank God for what you've received, it builds up your faith. You believe that it's true. You, you rely on that as a promise. You rely on it as truth because you're thanking him for it. I'm not thankful for things that aren't real. But if I know that God's word is real and I'm thanking for him like it is real, then my faith is going to be built up. I'm going to be guarded against the splinters. And when we seek his leading, he will lead us away from the thorns, from the thorny places. He will lead us down safe paths. Amen? Amen. And so my part, Resist the devil, watch and pray. Let's look at the next part. That is the church's part. Do you know the church has a part in helping you get free of thorns? The church has a part in helping you stay in God's promise. I think, you know, today is, is kind of a time in history where I think the church is kind of under attack, where people want to say, oh, you can just watch online. Oh, you can just, you, know, you don't have to come out. You don't have to be with the believers. I think the Bible says something different about that. You know, there's a scripture that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. There are these scriptures we're going to read that um, they, they show the importance of being present with other believers. Your, your church is supposed to be your family. Your church is supposed to be a support system for you. Your church is supposed to help you do what Jesus has called you to do. Help you to live in the fullness of the promise that, that he's purchased for you. That's part of the church. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Now I know we, we've talked about this scripture in here before, I believe. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's been preached before. I don't think here, but other places it's been preached about how, you know, we just, we have to help each other suffer through life. Well, that's not the promise I know. What I believe is being written about here in Galatians is we ought to help each other get free of the burden. We, we come alongside each other and help lift those weights off and cast them onto Jesus. Because he said, cast all your cares, cast all your burdens onto me. Because he, he took them to the cross. He, he did away with them. We're not supposed to just carry them through life. And I believe it's the same thing for the spiritual splinters. He's saying, you, you, don't, you don't need to just carry it forever. You don't need to just hold on to it for your life on earth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, come alongside each other and help one another pull those thorns out. Get rid of them. Cast them onto me. You know, Jesus, what, I, what we're going to end with here is that he wore a crown of thorns when he went to the cross. He literally bore the thorns when he went and died because he was putting all those thorns to death. He was doing away with them forever. He was doing away with the affliction forever. Not just the big things, not just the big wounds and the big hurts, but the thorns as well, the small things as well, the splinters as well. He got rid of it all on the cross. Hallelujah. And we, as the church, are supposed to help one another get the thorns out. It says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, the law of Christ is the law of love for one another. And when you love your brother, well, 1 John 3.18 actually says, my little, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That means we don't just say, oh, I hope you get better, brother. I hope you get better, sister. Hope it works out. It means we go alongside with them. We, we get right in there with them. We, we get into the, the bathroom with the medicine cabinet and the little tweezers, and we start going through pulling those things out with them and helping them through the process. 
We need to do it together. We're not supposed to do life alone. We're not supposed to beat the devil alone. We do our part. We accept our church family doing their part. And we look to Jesus as he does his part. The, the second scripture I'd like us to read about my church's part in pulling the thorns is Matthew 7, verse 4 through 5. It says, Oh, how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, this scripture really deals with two things. And where I've heard this preached the most is about, you know, don't judge each other. Have you ever heard this scripture preached in a sermon about don't judge one another? Yeah, I have. And that is true of this, that this scripture speaks to the judgmental person who wants to make themselves feel better by pointing out someone else's faults. You know, it's like, well, I've got this thing, but hey, you've got, you've got something too. You know, that's, that's not what a life of love for each other is. It, it, we don't operate that way. You know, it, it really, though, the second part, what it talks about is the importance of having people that can and will help us get splinters out. Because it does say, you know, judge not lest you be judged. And it tell, talks about the splinter, you know, who are you to say, get that splinter out of your eye when I got a log hanging out of my own eye. But he does say, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, Jesus wants us to get free of stuff Get free of those splinters so we can help other believers get free of them. That's part of his plan is that we would be free so we can help free others. I, you know, I, I almost think that as, as good of a message as it is that, you know, you don't have to be the one who goes around and calls out sin in everybody's life. Because, like, that's really not our place either that I show everyone what their sin is as I've got my own things I'm dealing with. But when you love one another, you want to help each other. Right? I mean, when, when your kids or your family are injured, you want to help them feel better. You want to help them to do better. And, and it's the same way spiritually with our family, with our church. When we see somebody hurting, we ought to want to go and help them. We ought to want to say, hey, you know what? I, I, I just noticed that this is something you're struggling with. Or somebody says, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And you've gotten free of that. You've removed that thing, that splinter from your life. You can come up and say, hey, this is how I got it out. This is the way that, that Jesus brought healing into my life for that thing. Let me help you get it out. Have you ever had a splinter you couldn't figure out how to get out, but then you took it to someone else and they did it? I, I've had a couple of those. And it's so frustrating, isn't it? Like when you can't get that thing out on your own, it's just so frustrating. You say, I keep trying, I keep digging at it, I keep poking at it, I keep trying to get it out, but I just can't figure it out on my own. And then you take it to someone who's removed a lot of splinters, and they just pull it out no problem. It's kind of like that with, with these, you know, these lusts and these things from the past that we struggle with. We struggle with it. Oh, it's so frustrating. I don't want to do this. I want to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. But, but this thing, I just can't get it out of my life. Go to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Go to your church family and allow them who have overcome it help you to overcome it. That's the plan we see laid out in the Word. And then the really good news about it is that Jesus has a part in this as well. And you know that's good news because everything he has a part in is full of life and it is according to God's will. And so in Luke 5, verse 31 through 32, and it's so appropriate for a message that's talking about, you know, injuries and splinters and that kind of thing. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And that's good news for us, that he doesn't just come 
to those who are well. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. I've not come to just walk around and talk to the people who have it all figured out, who are living the right way, who have removed all their splinters and are in newness of life. I've come for the people who have splinters they need to pull out. I've come to heal the people that need healing. And that, that's a spiritual thing he's talking about. I want to heal you on the inside. I want to heal your spirit man. I want to restore your spirit man. I want to give you newness of life in your heart, not just physically. And when he gives us newness of life, when he restores us, he pulls all the splinters out. He pulls all the thorns out. What we just talked about in Matthew 27, 29, it says, When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Jesus bore thorns, literal thorns, but he also bore spiritual thorns. He bore spiritual splinters, the things that want to stick with us and go into our promise and, and, and disrupt us in our newness of life. You know, I, I just, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm passionate about this because I've had moments where I feel like things from my past are messing up the promise. And that's just not what Jesus had intended for us. He wants fullness of life in his promise for us. And we know that he took those thorns when he went to the cross, which means they're dealt with. They are finished. They were put to death 2,000 and, I don't know, or 1,990 years ago on the cross. They were dealt with a long time ago, put to death, driven out, eradicated like the Canaanites were supposed to be. Our spiritual splinters have been finished, dealt with. We just have to receive that in Christ. 1 Corinthians. And I actually didn't write, yeah, there we go. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This talks about how he gives us the power to overcome. Because, you know, I, I talked about how we have our part in dealing with them. You know, we need to resist. We need to watch and pray. We talked about how the church has their part, how we need to be willing to help each other out in brotherly love, bear one another's burdens, help each other get healed. The truth is, Jesus is the one who gives the power for all of that to happen. Without him, I can't resist. Without him, my brother can't help. It's only through Christ that we are empowered to deal with these thorns. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He has made a way. He has guarded you against things that you could not deal with. It says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. His power guards you against the things that you're unable to resist. That's good news. He empowers you to be able to overcome, to be able to pull the splinters, to be able to live free of affliction. Isn't that awesome? Let's look at one more scripture. <clears throat> 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's His faithfulness and His justice that forgives us of our sins. You know, it, it takes a just God to recognize sin and to have it forgiven. God legally... Like, if we were to take our sin and, and have that against us, if we were on trial, being judged, legally, without Jesus, 
we are guilty and deserve punishment because the wages of sin is death. God is a just God. God is a legal God. He didn't cheat the system. He brought Jesus in so that we were justly paid for. So that he could judge accurately and say we're forgiven. The price was paid. That's why it means so much that Jesus paid the price for sin and death. He legally obtained. He legally purchased and legally made us free. And that's true of our splinters as well. He legally said, these things from your past must go. He legally bought new life for us. So if we receive that the way he intended it, we will be free of all these things from our past. He has freed us from them. And it says, not only has he forgiven us of our sins because he's faithful and just, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Man, if that doesn't sound like he's pulling the thorns, I don't know what does. He's cleansed us. He's taken all that away. He's taken away those things that don't belong there. He's taken away the, the, the hurt and the pain and the scars that we once had. He redeems us and cleans us up. He forgives us of the sin and then makes us new again. Hallelujah. His plan is to clean us completely. And it's His power that does it. You know, we, we cooperate with Him. We do our part in resisting, watching, and praying, and helping our brothers and sisters. But it's His power that does it. It's His grace that does it. And that's the good news, is He does what we could not do for ourselves. I've had some splinters in my life that I couldn't get out on my own. But with His help, there is nothing that's too deep. There's nothing that, that's been in too long. There's no wound that's damaged beyond repair. He is the God of redemption. He makes right what was once wrong. Isn't that good? Let us not be satisfied with a partial freedom. We desire and receive God's power for complete victory. Can you say amen to that? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that when he went to the cross, we were forgiven of our sin and cleansed. He's redeemed us from all the things of our past. He's redeemed us and cleansed us from the sins, the temptations, the lusts. Those problems that have tried to persist into our future must go. They must go now. In the name of Jesus, who bore the thorns on his head when he died at Calvary, they must go. We are not like Israel in the sense that we missed the opportunity to have those things taken away. Jesus, we call on you today. Those splinters that we've allowed to stay with us up to this point must go. We receive your power to redeem. We receive your power to cleanse and to heal. We receive it today. Splinters, go. Enemy, go. Temptation, we resist you. Enemy, we resist you now. We guard ourselves. We watch and pray against you. We come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ today, ready to help bear them out of the splinter, out of the affliction. And Lord, it is all by your power which you've made available through Jesus. We're so grateful. We believe this is true. If you believe this is true, say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you all so much for coming out this morning. Donna, you have something? Have Donna has an announcement. Let me pick up for me.
Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yes. Next Sunday is Come Together Sunday, February 2nd. So we will have a meal after service for everyone in the Redemption Center. We'll be having communion. The kids will be in with us for worship. It's going to be an awesome time together as the family. So come out for that, all right? Other than that, go be blessed. Stick around and have a cupcake with us this morning. We're so glad you came. Have a wonderful day.